We've been going through the Holy History. The theme for this series is found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples for us and were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. All of these events that took place with Israel in the Old Testament are not just history, they're his story. It's God's interaction and intervention in human history. God's plan to bring the whole earth to himself, to bring all the people of the earth to be a part of his kingdom. So today is the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent just means the coming, right? The expected coming of Jesus. And really the overall uh, sense that we have during Advent is what I think a lot of kids feel about Christmas, there's a lot of anticipation. But what our anticipation should be is about the coming of Jesus, not the coming of Santa and presents and all those things. All right, that, It's fun to do all those things regarding Christmas. But remember, Christmas is about Christ. And so the first Sunday of Advent, which is today, there are four Sundays in Advent. We light four candles around the, the, the circle here, our Advent wreath. And then the, the last uh, candle we light is going to be the center candle. And I'm going to pray about that because we're doing a Christmas Eve Eve service this year. And so it technically won't be uh, what we would normally have it be where it's Christmas or Christmas Eve. So we might light that candle on Sunday morning. Uh, well, we'll see. I'll, I'll pray about it and think about it. Um, but each candle represents a different uh, um quality regarding Advent. So today is hope, and it really is the overarching quality. So what I want to do, believe it or not, in keeping with our series, and this may conclude our series. I've got to pray about what the Lord wants me to do, but I'm, I'm thinking this may conclude our series in, uh, in Holy History because I have some other things that I want to do. And we've been walking through Holy History the really through the majority of this year, since March. And uh, so I think it is fitting for us to look at hope and the prophetic line of salvation or the prophetic line of redemption. So you've heard me talk about holy history many times, and you may have just equated that to, oh, well, that's the Old Testament, and that's God's interaction and intervention in uh, his people, right, with his people, Israel. But what I want you to see is that holy history is holy because that's where God touches the timeline. Anywhere or anything that God touches becomes holy. So when God touches you, you become holy because you belong to him, right? Um, what I hope is that as the result of this message, as the result of the Christ, Christmas season, as the result of hearing the gospel, that you will allow Christ into your innermost part, your holy of holies, your heart, to touch you and to change your life. He's going to change the timeline when he touches you. In fact, uh, believe it or not, in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, the most common designation for what we call Christians. How many of you would say I'm a Christian? Okay. The most common designation for Christians is saints. Now, we normally think of saints in the Catholic sense, that these are very, very special, unique individuals who you know, performed miracles and sacrificed and so forth. But what I want you to understand is that anything or anyone that Almighty God touches, the Holy One of Israel touches, becomes a saint, all right? So 
if you raised your hand because you have the Lord Jesus Christ living in your heart, then you may not think of yourself as a saint, but you are in fact a saint because God has touched you and he has touched your timeline, right? So each of us who have Christ in our lives have a testimony. We, we have a story. Um, what led us to that place where we were willing to give our lives to Christ? What were the events surrounding that particular time or that moment when we gave our lives to Christ? For some people, it's something that's very quiet and, and, and you know, it happened uh, in, in their own bedroom or in a very quiet place. For other people, it might have been, you know, something very, very big and bold and, and you know, might have been during a, a special worship time or, or something like that. For me, it was Easter Sunday, um, that's when I finally got to the place where I was willing to publicly commit my life to Jesus. I'd prayed many prayers up until that point. I wanted to live for Jesus. I wanted Jesus to save me, but I knew that I had to finally come to the point where I surrendered. I gave up and said, Jesus, not my will, just like we you know, said with Joe Staleman up here, Joe Farleen Staleman, right? Not my will, but thy will be done. And for me, that was Easter Sunday a long time ago, all right? Um, the next thing I want us to see regarding this prophetic line of salvation is human history begins with a failure and a fall. And people naturally are separated from God. This is the reason the world is such a mess, right? We can point to you know political problems and financial problems and social problems, But the reality is all of that stems from this original failure before God and this fall. And we are all born into a fallen world. So, you know, right now, today, there are people that are sick. Okay, little Shiloh's sick. He's the last one in his family to get sick. And so Craig and Rachel are having to do some trading off. And uh, Shiloh and Asher and Jubilee's Nana is sick, Craig's mom. And, you know, we might say, well, gosh, I'm just trying to do all the right things, Lord. You know, why in the world, uh, you know, are these things happening to me? Why did I get sick? Why am I having financial problems? You know, why does this special person that I really, really love not want to talk to me anymore? There's all sorts of things that happen in our lives. We can go to bigger, you know, events or at least more global events like the pandemic. Why the pandemic? All of these things. Ultimately, what I tell people is this is a fallen world, right? This ain't heaven. This is a fallen world. And that, my friends, is why you need to be saved. That's what salvation is. It is a restoration of the relationship that every human being should have with God. We are all not naturally children of God. We are naturally his creation. We are still made in his image, although that image is broken, but we all need to be saved. Um, this uh, idea of the fall goes all the way back to Genesis, specifically Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24 says this, after uh, Adam and Eve had disobeyed God and eaten from the fruit of the tree that he commanded them not to eat, it says he drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That is why you die. That is why I die because we're separated from God, the author of life, and from his his sustenance, his sustaining power to keep us alive. God is the only naturally, natively, intrinsically eternal being. The rest of us derive our existence from God. And if we're going to exist 
at all beyond the grave, it is going to be because God chooses to uh, to sustain us in life. But the uh, the way that Adam and Eve would have uh, been able to continue living was to be to eat the fruit of that tree uh, of life. Now, interestingly, that was not the tree that God said you can't eat from. They could have continued to eat from the tree of life, but they chose the tree of independent knowledge, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's what God said they couldn't do. Succinctly, Isaiah says in Isaiah 59 too, but your iniquities, big word for sins, have separated or made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. If you've never given your life to Jesus and you pray, there's something standing between you and God. It's sin. It's a wall. It's a barrier. If you have given your life to Jesus, but you're walking in rebellion, there's something that stands between you and God. Sin. When we come to Christ, we turn away from sin and we turn toward God. We say, I can't do this on my own. I need you to save me. I believe you sent Jesus, the baby in the manger, who became the man on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God the Father. I need him in my life to save me, to change me, right? The result of sin is death, friends. Death is what happens to us when we remain on our own apart from God. And we die little deaths every day because of sin, right? Um, Listen to what it says in Romans 5.12 regarding that that fall and how it perpetuates death. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, all people, because all sinned. The soul that sins, it will surely die. But the wages, the price for sin is death. When we sin, we earn death, all right? However, our gracious and loving creator and father prepared a way for people to be restored to himself and to be saved from eternal death. That, my friends, is what holy history is all about. So I haven't been just telling you a bunch of stories from the Old Testament. I haven't been just telling you about the history of Israel. Really, this entire series through the holy history is about redemption. It is about restoration. It is about salvation and how God prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. The plan from the beginning um, was, uh, well, it began in the garden, let's just say that, Um, and it began the moment human beings failed. God knew that we were going to fail, and he already had a plan. Listen to this. This is the first prophecy of the coming of Jesus, and this is in the same chapter of Genesis 3. This is Genesis 3.15. He's talking um, to the serpent, this, uh, this entity that uh, Satan had entered into to deceive Eve. And he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. That means I will make you enemies. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, right? So those of you that understand the reproductive system, the woman doesn't have the seed, the man does. So how would the seed come from the woman? Well, because the woman had an immaculate conception and the almighty uh, Holy One of Israel uh, was the one that brought the, the child into her. And that child was Messiah. That child was Christ. That child is Jesus. And he is the one that has defeated Satan and defeated death. So God's plan was 
to send a savior, his only son, who would become human and defeat Satan and destroy death. Listen to this passage from Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, we're the children, we share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise, that's Jesus, partook of the same things. He partook of flesh and blood like us. That through death, Jesus actually died. He might destroy the one who has the power of death. Who is that? That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. If you don't fear death, you're either saved or you're a fool. Death is not your friend. Death is your enemy. People that say death is a doorway, well, it's a doorway to something. If you have salvation, if you have Christ, then it is a doorway to paradise. It is a doorway to a final existence in the presence of a holy and beautiful and amazing God who will sustain you in life and who will give you a purpose beyond the grave. But if you don't have Jesus, I can't offer you that hope. I don't try to point fingers and condemn people. Uh, I do funerals all the time, but I, I always tell people the only hope I can offer you that you will meet with your loved one beyond the grave or your friend beyond the grave is through Jesus because Jesus is the only one verified who rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he defeated death for all of us. So when we are in Christ, then we also defeat death and we are given the gift of eternal life, right? This plan was prophesied throughout holy history. Although, even though it was there in the prophets, it remained a mystery until after the resurrection of Christ. A lot of the prophets who the Lord spoke through didn't understand what the fulfillment of their prophecies would be or how that would all work out, right? But they wrote and they spoke Sometimes they spoke and someone else wrote. That's the case with Jeremiah. He had a, a secretary named Baruch, and the Lord would speak to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah would speak to Baruch, and Baruch would write it down. Most of the letters that we have in the New Testament, the letters of Paul, um, the letters of First and Second Peter and so forth, they were actually written down by an amanuensis, Right? And the Lord spoke to the, you know, his servant, his prophet, and they spoke out loud and the amanuensis would write it down. But nonetheless, um, the mystery that these prophets spoke about, we now know as the gospel. And that's what Paul calls it. He calls the gospel a mystery. This is Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, the mystery. And in Revelation, it talks about when the, the end of that mystery will be. Uh, God is going to call an end to the world. He's going to bring judgment on the world. Before he brings the, the global judgment, right, he is going to remove his people from the world. He marks them and separates them and protects them, not from all pain, but from his wrath. Because when we are in Christ, we are no longer destined for wrath, it says in 1 Thessalonians, both chapter 1 and chapter 5, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you don't have to fear condemnation and judgment. You don't even have to fear death, right? Um, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that foretell the coming of Messiah. For, this is Romans 15, 8. 
For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. This is how we gain access to the promises that are throughout the Old Testament, and of course the important promises regarding eternal life in the New Testament, is through Christ. Christ grafts us into that olive tree of Israel, and we can be partakers of those promises. So as an aside, and I have a little time to do this, I, 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 I put this in here because I didn't know whether I was going to have time to do it or not, but it looks like that I will have time. Um, we say, Christians say, we believe that Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies about the coming of Messiah. And there are, you know, depending on who you talk to, somewhere upwards of 48 or more different prophecies that relate to Jesus. A mathematician in the, uh, some years ago, in the 50s, I believe, um, calculated what the probability of just a random person, right? Just a random person. What would the probability be that such a person would fulfill eight of those many prophecies? Only eight. And, you know, he gives uh, this fella gives a, a series of these prophecies um, that Christ was born in Bethlehem, that uh, there would be a forerunner to, the, forerunner to Jesus, that's John the Baptist, that Christ would enter Jerusalem riding a donkey, that Christ would be betrayed by a friend, that Christ would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, and that the 30 pieces of silver would be cast down and used to buy a potter's field. And although innocent, Christ kept silent when on trial. So there's eight. Right? Those are the eight that, that he evaluated, that this uh, particular person evaluated, right? And he said, okay, so what is the, the probability that someone would randomly uh, happen upon and be, be the fulfillment of eight of those prophecies? What do you think that number is? It's one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a, a one with 17 zeros uh, after it. Now, there are far more than eight prophecies. Any man randomly fulfilling 48, well, that would be one in 10 to the 157th power. That's a ridiculous number, okay? Um, and uh, in fact, uh, he gives a, a little illustration of this. He says, if you were to cover the state of Texas in silver dollars, um, and you've seen a silver dollar, you know, about that big, cover the state of Texas in silver dollars up, I don't know how many feet, and you walked through those silver dollars, and one of them had, a, had a, an X on it. Let's say that one of them had a, you know, somebody taken a permanent marker and made an X, right? Cover the state of, of Texas in silver dollars up however many feet, okay? And you walking along, and this is a big state, the chances of you reaching down and picking the one with the black X on it the first time would be one in 10 to the 17th. So it is highly unlikely that a random individual just came along and fulfilled these prophecies. Here are key prophecies that relate to Jesus' birth. And this is, uh, this is you know, why we can have a firm uh, confidence that Jesus is Messiah. These are, these are key prophecies related to his birth. This is Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, Yahweh himself, the Lord himself, will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, this is the fulfillment, right? This is the, the prophecy helping us to understand what the fulfillment of the Genesis 3.15 prophecy would be, right? That the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. 
Again, the woman doesn't have the seed, but here we have a, a virgin who is going to bear a son. And then we have uh, Micah 5.2, where Jesus was born. Now, now, by the way, it should be said here, okay? We look at the Bible, and it's just, you know, it's a big book. It's got a lot of pages, and it's got a lot of writing in it. But you need to understand, the Bible is not one book. It's 66 books. And it was written over a period of 1,500 years by some 40 different authors. The prophecy that I just read to you from Isaiah 7, right, that the virgin will give birth and bear a son, that was made 800 years before Jesus, right? It was made in the 8th century B.C. Um, Here's from Micah. This is another great 8th century prophet, so in the same uh, period uh, of time, in the 700s B.C., Micah wrote, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. If you read the Christmas story, you see that there was a census. And what happened when the census uh, was called by the emperor Augustus, Caesar Augustus? Everybody was required to go back to their hometown, to their, the place of their ancestral lineage. So for Joseph... That meant that he had to go back to Bethlehem. And thus he brought Mary with him and they went to Bethlehem. And Jesus was not born in Nazareth where the the family was living. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and probably lived there with his parents until he was around two years old, at which time he went to Egypt for a brief period of time to escape the wrath of King Herod and his descendants. And then he came back and then they moved to Nazareth. Listen to this from Isaiah 9-2, once again, 800 years before Jesus' birth. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, excuse me, on those who dwelt in deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And then a little further uh, down in Isaiah, this is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and you hear this one all the time at Christmas. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and with the righteousness from his time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, here's really a big cluster of prophecies that relate to Jesus, and that is he was related to a descendant of King David. Now, recently, we looked at the the fact, the reality, that King David was promised, God promised King David, that his kingdom, that his throne would endure forever. Yet we know in Israelite history that many of the descendants of David who sat on the throne sinned, and that line was broken. However, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and a descendant of David, and he is the one who brings about this reality that David's throne can continue on forever, as in beyond this earth and beyond our temporal existence right now. Well, Christmas is the season of hope. Because Jesus came from heaven to earth. As you've heard it said, Jesus is the reason for the season. Kids, have you heard that said? Are the kids asleep? Yeah, there's there's the Asher's asleep. All right. All right. Santa's not the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. 
I like this from Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, we're not naturally children of God, but he restores that relationship and adopts us into his family through Christ. Our hope is sustained and magnified because the baby born in the manger lived a perfect life, the life that we should live, but we cannot live. And then he died for our sins and rose. Uh, this is the, the critical passage for the gospel. This is from uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. The apostle Paul said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. There's another cluster of prophetic scriptures related to the death of Messiah. And, and again, this is why the gospel was a mystery, because they didn't understand this originally, Right? Um, so I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then it continues talking about all of the people that Jesus appeared to, the apostles, uh, up to 500 brothers at one time and so forth. Then he ascended to heaven as the eternal king who sits on David's throne. Once again, this is why the Davidic throne can last forever. This is why the kingdom of David will last forever. Um, uh, Luke 2451, Pastor Craig is, well, I'm pointing back here. He had to go home with his son. Um, he is teaching through the gospel of Luke. He sits right here. That's his Bible. And as a matter of fact, I, I left it there because um, I'm doing all my Bible verses from the, the computer and I wanted you to see Bible, Bible, right? Um, but he is doing a, a, a uh, series through the gospel of Luke and he's just about finished. And this is one of the last verses in Luke, Luke 2451. While he was blessing him, blessing them. This is the resurrected Jesus. This is after the crucifixion, after he's appeared to a number of them, right? At the end of Luke 24, 51, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then we have this uh, from Hebrews 1, 3. The son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation, the exact imprints of his being or his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, that's for us, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Again, that's Hebrews 1.3. So this is how Jesus fulfills this promise. Remember that the Lord promised David that his kingdom would never end. Here's the promise, 2 Samuel 7.16. This is to David now. This is Old Testament. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Well, see, Jesus is both the descendant of David and he is the Lord of David because Jesus existed before he came to earth as a, that baby in the manger. He pre-existed. Listen to what it says here. Uh, this is at the end of the entire Bible, Revelation twenty-two sixteen. 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star, right? The root and the descendant. He is the source and the descendant of David. Um, Jesus is the only way then that this prophecy about David's throne lasting forever could possibly be fulfilled. Listen to the, uh, there was a series of questions that Jesus was asked. They were trying to trip him up uh, the week before he died. They were trying to trip him up. The religious leaders were trying to trip him up. And at the end of all of these questions that they asked, he said, now I'm going to ask you a question. 
because he was showing them that they didn't understand their own prophetic scriptures. But Jesus did understand them. He was the fulfillment of them. Here it is. This is Matthew's account. Uh, this, this is also found in Luke. Uh, Pastor Craig just recently taught on this. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? And Christ just means Messiah, right? That's the, the Latin Christos. That's the Greek right? Christus, Latin, uh, for Messiah. Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit, now this is David writing one of the Davidic Psalms, most of the Psalms, more than half of the Psalms, right? The, the, the songs uh, of, the, of the Jewish people, they're in the middle of the Bible, There's 150 of them. More than half of them are ascribed to David. He was a king, he was a warrior, but he was also uh, the sweet uh, uh, hymn writer of Israel, okay? He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? You don't call your son Lord. That would be weird, okay? I I don't see, you know, here's Asher. He's actually awake now, kind of awake. Yeah, there. Does your dad ever call you Lord? No, that would be really weird, wouldn't it? Like, what's going on right now, okay? Now, you wouldn't call your dad Lord because we don't really use that term anymore, but you could call him sir, right? Do you ever have to say, yes, sir? That's just very respectful, isn't it? Okay, okay. Here's where that is from, that Jesus is quoting. Psalm 110.1, a Davidic psalm. David wrote this. The hymn writer of Israel wrote this psalm. And it starts out, the Lord. Know anything about the Old Testament? You know that when you see that word Lord in most translations, and it's capital L, and then lowercase caps O-R-D. They're still capital, but they're lowercase caps. That's signaling you that this is God's name. This is God's special name right? And that name in Hebrew is spelled yod Hey vav Hey, And we think it is pronounced Yahweh. There's a recent translation of scripture coming from uh, John MacArthur's uh, school, I guess you would say. Uh, he's a pastor in uh, California, very conservative uh, pastor, but it's called the Legacy Standard Bible. And it chooses, the the translators of that Bible have chosen not to follow this convention. So if you want to see all the places where God's name is mentioned as Yahweh, that's how the Legacy Standard Bible translates it. So right here, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That means Yahweh, the Father, said to Yeshua, the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus was saying, I'm the Son of God. Not a son of God, the son of God. And he is the one that that promise to David was intended, uh, targeted to uh, to fulfill. So Jesus sits at the right hand of the father now, but he promised to return and to save everyone who puts faith in him, right? That's why you can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. The other half of the verse I quoted earlier, I've quoted many verses today so far, But the first half of Romans 6.23 says, but the wages of sin is death. That's where you're stuck right now if you have not chosen to put your faith in Jesus. You're going to die, and that death is going to go on forever, okay? There'll be a resurrection for judgment, but then eternal death. If you put your faith in Jesus, 
and receive the gift of eternal life, then there's a resurrection to life, right? That's the first half of the verse. But for the wages of sin is death. But the second half of Romans 6.23 says, the free gift of God, does the gift cost anything? No. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the gift that he offers to you. Listen to this uh, wonderful promise that Jesus made in John 5.24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That is the offer to you if you will allow Jesus to touch your timeline and make it holy, to bring you into these promises, then you are grafted in to that olive tree of God's people. And here in Hebrews 9.28, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Here's where we get back to, to Advent. Are you eagerly, waiting for Jesus. Do you anticipate that moment when you will come before the presence of Christ? One of two things will happen. Either you will still be alive when Jesus returns because the ascended Christ promised to come back. Do you know that even uh, our Muslim friends who don't, they don't even believe Jesus was crucified, right? They have many differences, but do you know that even they believe Jesus will return? This is a very powerful belief throughout the world that Jesus will return. We're living in a time that is closer to that return of Christ than any other time. And I may start preaching that, right? There's a book that I've recommended uh, for you guys to get called Resilient by John Eldridge, and he mentions this in that book. We need to prepare ourselves for the return of Christ, to anticipate eagerly the return of Jesus. That's what Advent season should be about for you and I. Yes, it's wonderful. We need to remember Christmas. Remember that Jesus came as the baby in the manger, but you need to understand the baby in the manger us, and he rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he's coming back, and he's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back riding on a white horse and he's going to bring the kingdom of God down. And that, at that time, your vote and my vote don't matter anymore. Doesn't matter whether you think that candidate or this candidate or this party or that party, it's irrelevant. He's the king and the king says, this is what is to happen. And then it happens. That's Jesus. That's the one that's coming back. And that's why I want to be in Christ. So the question is, Do you eagerly expect the return of Christ? Are you anticipating that like a child or at least many children have an eager anticipation for Christmas morning? He's the coming king and he is the source of our highest hope. All of these things that we put hope in down here are going away, friends. They're all going away. Now, I hope things go well for you. Again, in this book that I'm recommending to you, Resilient by John Eldridge, he talks about how many of us after the pandemic, we just want life to be good again, right? And maybe you've had your own uh, cataclysms in your, in your personal life and you just want things to be at peace and you want to be at rest. You want things to be good again. You want things to be prosperous again, right? And I hope that for you. I want that for you. But not if it's going to distract you from Jesus. If your prosperity is going to cause you to turn your back on Christ, then I pray that the Lord removes it all. Not so that you will hurt, not so that you'll be that your only lasting hope is in Jesus. 
Here's the last verse that I'll quote. This is Romans 15, 12 through 13. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. Jesse was the father of David. The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise and rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. That's most of us in this room. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's my prayer for you, that you will overflow with hope this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't offer you money. I I, I can't offer you a, a, a better life in this world. I can offer you Christ. And I can tell you that if you will trust him, then you will find that he will inevitably lead you down the right path, that he will bless you, that he will take even the most terrible things that you've been through or are going through and turn them around for good. God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's the hope I offer you, friend. I offer you that hope in the gospel, all right? Now, uh, we're gonna have a a concluding time in the service here. Uh, I'll be standing down here. I would love to pray with you if you would like to pray with me. But uh, listen, it all begins with a prayer, really. The scripture says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what you do. You open your heart and you call on Jesus to save you. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer like that. Some people are just confused. They don't know how to pray. They're not sure what words to say. It's not the words that I'm going to say. It's you putting your faith behind those words. And if you will call on the name of Jesus, then the ascended Christ will step out of heaven and step into your heart by the power of his spirit. Let me ask you to bow your head just for a moment. Pray this prayer with me. Just say it under your breath, but really, really say it. Really mean it. Say, dear Jesus, I believe in you. You are the son of God. You are the savior of the world. You were the baby in the manger. You were the man on the cross. You rose from the dead. And I believe you hear me now. I open my heart. I invite you to come inside. Save me, Jesus. I will follow you from this day forward for the rest of my life. Amen. If you prayed that and you meant it, maybe you prayed it again for the first time in many years, I will say this, God responds to faith, right? By grace, you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it and you believed it, then Jesus Christ is in you and you have the hope of eternal life. Now, follow him. Be in church the, this Advent season. Learn what it means to, to be baptized. Um, let us know that you prayed that prayer. Uh, we have bulletins and in the bulletin, there is a feedback section and you can fill that out. And let me know that you prayed that or you can go online, uh, go to our website, lifefulchurch.com and click the feedback tab and then let me know. I would like to know. I'd like to know how to help you, all right?